Broadcasting from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, it's time for Executive Perspective. Executive Perspective is brought to you by Cressa, going beyond space to foster the best environment for every business. Now, here's your host, Danny Vandermeer. Hello, and welcome to Executive Perspective, a podcast series brought to you by Cressa world's largest commercial real estate firm dedicated to representing companies who need real estate to operate. At Cressa, we understand the value of relationships and the power of connecting with others in the business world, and that's why we love this podcast series. We get to sit down with executives and business leaders, listen to their challenges, insights, and unique perspectives. My name is Danny Vandermate, and I'm a vice president of Tenant Advisory Services in the Atlanta office of Cressa, and I'm the host of Executive Perspective. Today, I'm very excited to welcome Chris Lindenau. Chris, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Danny. Thanks for having me here. And so you are the Chief Executive Officer of Officially, today, as it's been released, the fastest growing company in the state of Georgia, according to the Inc. 500? 5,000. 5,000. Congratulations. That is awesome. thank you. I appreciate that. Um, We'll get a lot to that, but first we'd like to start out just giving a little bit more background about you. So you graduated from Georgia Tech here in Atlanta. Go Jackets. I'm sure a lot of people listening to this would really appreciate that about you. And right after graduating, it looks like you spent five years in the U.S. Navy. And then after that service, you were in the security and in the video technology business for a couple of years and just five years ago started Fusis. And that's something in and of itself. Five years ago, now you're number one in Georgia. Um, And along the way, five kids ages ages five to 14 how do you how do you get it all done well first off that's a lot of as i'm hearing you tell that story i realize how many fives are involved in that yeah and you're right i mean i I seem to do things in fives um we actually believe it or not we started the company in 2019 so i think it's actually four years okay um and you know in terms of the Inc. 5000 announcement i mean i'm humbled by that of course but the, the real credit goes to the team and the team is right. the, you know, now the hundred plus employees that work at Fusis that, um, they're just bought in, they're bought into the mission. Uh, and that is to help communities by working with law enforcement to make those technologies that they have interoperable, uh, with, within those communities. And so just, I, I'm really more the, um, ambassador, if you will, of a vision that is shared by a lot of dedicated people who, who have executed on that vision. It does take a village. It certainly does, does. Yeah. but don't underestimate the fact it took a couple of scrappy guys and a fold out white table <laughs> to start the dream. That yeah. is incredible. And yeah. so timely that that just got released this morning and you get to come on here. So for people that are listening that have never heard of Fusus or are not even familiar with law enforcement technology, right. if it were me trying to describe, well, what does Chris do? And what does this company do? I'd say that you guys integrate different security and surveillance assets for law enforcement and different public safety organizations. What more would you add to that in your elevator pitch? And it doesn't have to be an elevator pitch, but tell us a little yeah, bit about I what mean, you guys do. I mean, you know, something we all understand is a 911 call, right? Like, you know, um, you know, things with law enforcement typically start with a 911 call. So you think about that, that that's a system um, that somebody has a login to and then shares information from that login to, you know, uh, you know, ostensibly officers who are responding. Um, traditionally, in law enforcement agencies, you know, you also have uh, camera systems, uh, typically called um, uh, video management software systems. You have, um, you know, uh, alarm type systems. So you may have, um, you know, fire alarms, burglar alarms uh, that they respond to. Uh, 
um, you know, with the fire department and the police department respectively. Uh, you know, you, you, you have technologies like uh, gunshot, um, oh, you know, alerting systems. Specifically, you see those a lot in, you know, uh, urban areas. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it, as I kind of go down the list, you know, the things that I've just rattled off are examples of, of different software systems that operate primarily independently um, where, you know, an officer or officers are trained on using those systems. Uh, and really prior to FUSIS, there was nobody looking at kind of the landscape of all those technologies and saying, well, hold on, if we could get the gunshot system to work with the video management software system to work with the 911 dispatch system to share that information automatically to the assigned officer, wouldn't that be helpful? And as I started to kind of ask agencies their opinion on this, you know, there was a resounding, absolutely. Right now we've got you know, 10 people to manage 10 systems um, that are heavily fragmented. And so I guess to answer your question most specifically, it was really kind of looking at what's already out there and making it work collectively more effectively than it did independently. That old kind of one plus one equals three scenario. And a lot of that is allowing these different organizations to share what you just described with technologies and cameras and systems, do those fall into that bucket of what we refer to and in your industry, the vernacular of surveillance assets? Is that technically what falls into that? Yeah. I mean, I think what you're referring to is like kind of what the community has okay. to share in. And I, I, yes, I mean, it's interesting, you know, last year, and it depends on what data source you go to, but the commercial security market um, was an eight, billion dollar market in the United States. In other words, for products and services, well, primarily for technologies. And so like, if you look at what businesses are spending, um, it's, it's in the billions of dollars a year. But when you ask how many of those businesses connect in real time to law enforcement, very few. Mm. So here we, we spend a massive amount of money with law enforcement on their technologies we as a you know society spend a massive amount of money in the commercial security market and yet never the two shall meet right it's just mm-hmm. like nobody was thinking about well like how do we get them connected up because they have a shared mission right safety security of employees if you're a director of security for a business is very similar to the mission of a chief of police which is safety and security of the citizens which include employees and businesses so it's a congruent mission but there was never any congruent component of the technology and, and that's where FUSA steps in is we we not only make the law enforcement stuff work better together but we also make the community assets that they've invested billions and in work better with those law enforcement assets and and i want to touch on that too because FUSA's like where you got the name for this company what it means is is fusing these products together even yeah. though they're owned they're owned by what you're describing correct me if i'm wrong public and private organizations you're allowing these different products and services and technologies to fuse to one another to to facilitate the goals of everybody that's everybody that's fused. Is that a, is that an accurate way to describe that? It's right. And if you actually look at the uh, Greek etymology of 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 the word fusis was the spindle, and the spindle was the tool that brought disparate fibers into one unified fiber. Hmm. You know, in, in essence, fusing them together. And so clever that, name. Yes. Yeah, so that's why we, you know, we kind of came up with that as our, as our icon and the name of the company. And, um, you know, candidly, it was also a short name, which was, it is. was somewhat easy to write and pronounce. Uh, at least we thought 
that we've learned since then that, you know, we get a lot of fusses and you know, <laughs> we get a little derivation. So may, maybe we need to do a better job of uh, the pronunciation side of things. But yeah, but if they're that, asking that how the, to, if they're asking how to pronunciate it, at least they're trying, at least they're listening. That's right. right? At, least at, least, at least you're leaving an impression, right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's the silver lining. So yeah. when I think of what you guys do, you know, what did, what did Fuses do that was special or unique when you approached integrating these technologies and how are you doing it differently than maybe some other organizations are doing it? And how is, how has your approach contributed to your success? Yeah. I mean, I think to, to summarize, you know, succinctly, I would just say it's an open approach. Um, prior to Fusis and even after Fusis, um, you know, there was this growing interest with law enforcement to unify their assets. Um, and you know, some very highly lauded, um, police departments like, NYPD had established centers for doing this sort of thing. And they called theirs in, in New York, uh, the real time crime center. Um, you know, we built upon that and we said, well, you know, this is a real time crime center for all technologies for all agencies. And there's, you know, 12,500 state and local agencies that could potentially benefit from this. And so the approach that we took that was slightly different was that instead of building, just a real-time crime center platform that worked with our own company's manufactured cameras and our own company's manufactured license plate readers and our own company's manufactured gunshot systems. We actually looked at the landscape of the best-of-breed technologies across multiple vendors, companies like Axis uh, Communications or Bosch or Avigilon who are building you know best-of-breed uh, cameras or companies like Flock Safety or Vigilant or Genetech that were building best-of-breed license plate readers. And we said, well, why should an agency have to just pick one, Mm -hmm. one vendor? Why can't they benefit from the best-of-breed and the innovation of all of these vendors who have a vested interest in earning those agencies' business? Uh, But at the same time, you know, the agency wants to continue to have the best-of-breed technology and not be kind of beholden to one silo, if you will, from one vendor. And so that concept, that notion of being open, believe it or not, was new. I mean, Fusis was the first company to say, um, you pick, you know, Mrs. Customer, Mr. Customer, what you want, um, and we will integrate it into your common operating picture. That unified single pane of glass um, will continue to evolve as your needs evolve, as technology evolves, and you'll not be kind of shoehorned into this notion of like planned obsolescence with one vendor who's going to come to you in two years and say, well, in order to keep your system up, up to date, you got to, you know, you got to upgrade mm-hmm. to our, our latest siloed version of, you know, the solution that you bought a couple years ago. And, and, and so it was a liberating thing as much as it was keeping them meaning agencies on the cusp of the latest and greatest innovations. And that was unique. And, and is the philosophy that, that kind of serves that, that effort? Is it, is it that if I'm, if I'm the Marietta police department and, and if I'm true as park, regardless of whatever technologies I'm using, our end goal is the same. We want safety. And so our technologies and assets should be able to work with one another. To your example, you shouldn't just be holding to, to using products that only mesh with one another. Yeah, I like the way you're saying that because that's, I mean, at my core, you know, I'm a prior military officer and I've carried a lot of that kind of ethos with me through my private sector career. It's a mission-oriented focus, right? You're talking about the mission. The mission is for law enforcement to 
help communities to preserve safety and security in communities. The best way to do that is leverage the best that technology has to offer. Right. The best way to do that is an open system. Right. And that's what we offer and we'll continue to offer that. So what sort of innovations are interesting to you personally? And essentially where I'm going with this is where do you intend to take the technology beyond where it's even at today? Well, I mean, there's so many interesting things going on um, just in terms of technology as a whole. I mean, AI is at the forefront of a lot of conversations. Sure you know, is. we started, um, you know, with object classification AI. We had a, a team of uh, of, of data scientists, um, you know, building some really neat object classification technology. Um, and then we kind of, you know, as we started to make, you know, for lack of a better term, unsmart cameras smart um, by bringing in, you know, third-party systems and then layering in artificial intelligence. As we started to see the impact of that in solving crime in communities, um, you know, then we pushed the envelope and more uh, recently we, we launched something called behavioral AI, which is now you're looking at, you know, a condition upon which an alert might be given. So a prime example of something we do is wrong-way traffic, right? So like cameras facing intersections, not uncommon, cameras facing intersections that can pick up a car that's potentially in route to a head-on collision now that's unique yeah. that's that's called behavioral ai so we've launched that um and um really excited about what that portends for for our customers um you know a logical next step for us to consider and obviously on the on the tip of everyone's tongue right now is generative ai and, and what does that portend for you know allowing systems to make decisions about you know based on machine learning and and you know the availability of information that's out on the internet and kind of pulling that data and calling that data and making more informed decisions um you know through generative ai uh technology is exciting especially when you think about you know what that means in terms of bringing disparate data sets together and then collectively doing really complex computations and spitting out as a result very good actions, very efficient actions that will lend insights to officers in the field. Um, it's almost kind of the, the, the proverbial autopilot of, you know, um, decision-making now. And, and you're, you know, on one hand, there's an efficiency gain there. On, on the other hand, there's, you know, some constraints that you have to, you know, kind of put in place on those systems so that you, you at the same time preserve people's civil liberties and, and, you know, that sort of thing. So there's a reconciliation there. Um, that is, you know, profoundly important to consider as we look at, you know, what the technology can do for us. So we're having those conversations internally and, you know, with our development team, with our partners in law enforcement and with the community members that they're connecting up through FUSES. So that's interesting, um, in technology, but then there's this whole other area outside of, um, you know, kind of what we traditionally define as real time response, which is, you know, cameras, alert technologies, that sort of thing that help officers make informed decisions. Then there's this whole other area that I'm interested in and I've been really exploring with our development team, which is the investigative side, right? Mm. And as I look at those workflows, you know, traditionally in law enforcement, it's really kind of two different groups. There's the kind of the, you know, the groups that are more operationally minded. They actually kind of are dispatched to the incident and they resolve and address the incident. And then there's kind of more the investigative side and think like, you know, one that we all understand, unfortunately is the homicide, right? The investigation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, those are the really TV shows that we're all familiar with. That's what, right. You know, the first 48 and everything. Right. So like, if you think about that, your mental model is that, you know, perhaps those are two different distinctive groups, but why do they have to be like, 
It's a great why, question. Why does investigative have to be after the fact? Why couldn't we, with the wealth of data that we have available, if we could synthesize it quickly enough, could it be real time? Could I actually understand, for example, the threat that I might be walking into as I show up to a location based on, um, you know, maybe criminal arrest records of the individual whose home I've been dispatched to. And as a result, have a appropriate, you know, threat posture as I arrive at that location, maybe saving lives, right. Mm -hmm. Um, Allowing officers to maybe understand what they're walking into prior. Look, we had this in the military, right? We had, we had, we had intelligence uh, reconnaissance, right. But for the vast majority of law enforcement across the country, they don't know what they're showing up to when they arrive at a location that, you know, they, they have what's in their dispatch system and that's it. Um, but there's this wealth of information that are in records management systems and investigative databases that could help give them insights that lend information in real time to them to make more informed real time decisions. So that's this merger of the investigative and the real time world. Mm-hmm. That's fine. So interesting that we're going to continue to explore. Um, to what extent does Fuses presently presently try to share that data with you know between these different organizations? You guys, you guys at the very beginning stages of exploring that. If you guys started started to test doing that with any with any amount of success, yeah, I mean, I think what you're referring to normally in in the law enforcement you know vernacular called mutual aid. Um, uh-huh. And you're right. I mean that that's another silo, right? So there's the the private sector, the business community, if you will, to the public sector, right? Law enforcement, if you will. Then, then there's also the law enforcement to law enforcement. Right. And, and you'd be surprised. I mean, so I look at like a lot of local police departments, you know, uh, do not currently share a whole lot of information with the sheriff's office and vice versa. So, right? being, so, so being ignorant, what's the good reason for that? Well, it's, you know, some of it, you know, I think is just kind of ensconced, um, you know, ways of, of doing things. You know, you, you, you've got different, um, you know, org charts. Um, we all understand that, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, who we report to and, you know, our responsibilities to them, that sort of thing. Um, some of it is 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 technology, um, you know, just, you know, the fact that these are different systems that the different organizations are running and they don't speak together. Right. Um, that's the part where we can help. Right. So I see that you guys have an office in London, and I was really curious to ask today how our friends across the pond have taken to the technology that you brought over there. Yeah, so we first off, we launched our office in March uh, of this year, and you know we we went over to to London without you know really any clients, right? So you know it wasn't like the you know. Uh, traditional, like, let's go find a, a client, sign a contract, and then we'll, we'll open an office. I think we, we, we were, we were leaning in, um, mm-hmm. you know, um, fortune favors the brave, so to speak. And so we decided, you know, let's make an investment. And, um, and we kind of understood intuitively that in order to take what we had demonstrated in the U S was really is now become kind of a, a, a movement, right? Real time crime centers in the U S you know, since 2019, when we kicked this endeavor off, have just like rapidly accelerated in the U.S. I mean, there's even National Real-Time Crime Center Association now. There's annual events. I'm actually attending one in Canada. So now Canada's picked up the ball and they're running with it. Um, their agencies are looking at it. We have our first uh, clients uh, internationally down in the Caribbean. So, I mean, this side of the pond, so to speak, gets it, right? Mm-hmm. And they're leaning in Seems on real-time like crime. They, they are. Yeah. But back to your question, 
we always knew that going to the UK was going to be somewhat, you know, preemptive. Um, and it's interesting because I've learned a couple things being in the UK. So cameras in the United States are primarily managed by the police department. I mean, cities have their own camera assets, but, but police departments have their own camera assets as well. Um, and so when we try to connect up, for example, cameras from a police department, it's easy if the person you're doing the connecting on behalf actually owns the cameras that you're connecting, right? It's a little different in the UK where they have something called local authorities, which are kind of like their version of like little municipal kind of governments who actually own the cameras. Mm. So I may be a police department in a local authority area, but I may not have any cameras under management. So that conversation is a little different because right. we've got to get consent from those, both the police department and the local authority to connect up that asset. Huh. Um, and, and so the buy-in process is a little different. Um, you know, and I think obviously there's a little bit of a, what is a real time crime center? And then, you know, even, even the word center is spelled differently, right? It's R E and UK versus ER. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're learning a lot of this nuance, but the good news is, um, I think we've got our first, uh, agency who is about to close, um, in the UK and, uh, we've probably got four or five behind them that are, you know, are moving in that direction. So we're definitely making headway, but it was definitely a learning uh, process, a, learning process, a lot right. of education to get, you know, to get us there. But, um, we're, we're proud like we did in the U S to really be on the forefront of that movement. That's awesome. So one of the things you talked about a little bit ago was AI and I'm happy you brought it up. I'm just curious, what are, what are some of the benefits that you see, of AI being in law enforcement technology, and then what are what are some of the potential drawbacks? Because, I mean, you pretty much elaborated on this, but a lot of different organizations and industries are trying to use AI and figuring it out. When you really talk about people's safety, it would seem like it seem like there's a lot of different a different avenues that you've got to walk with certain amounts of trepidation. And so, what do you make of? of how to approach that and how to integrate. Well, I mean, the first thing is, you know, just mathematically, I, I look at a lot of challenges in terms of like, you know, the quantitative component. So like an average camera, right? If it's running at 30 frames a second, yeah, there's 3,600 seconds in an hour. So you're almost at, you know, what, 100,000 frames in an hour, right? From, from one camera. Now multiply that times 24 hours in a day and you're in the, you know, millions of frames of data from one camera. So now magnify that times a thousand cameras across a jurisdiction. It would take a team of hundreds of people to do what an artificial intelligence enabled engine can find in seconds. Right. So if I'm looking for something as trivial as a person with a red shirt on and black pants, right? I put that query field into a system. I've got results in seconds. And when seconds mean lives, that matters. So that's intuitively, I think, the way that we can kind of get our head wrapped around the benefit of AI. Efficiency. The efficiencies. The efficiency. Now, the hazards are, you know, obviously concerns around profiling, right? Mm -hmm. So you get into this concept of like, now we're uploading everybody into a system that just arbitrarily tracks their movements at all times. It's not a kind of system that Fusus wants to build. Right. 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 So that's where we draw the line and say, all right, look, there's what I would consider. And I think many who are in this movement with us towards better community led policing tools to be kind of efficiency gaining 
tools, and then there's tools that can be, you know, potentially a slippery slope towards infringement on people's civil liberties. And so that's where I would draw that line. Um, again, I'm not judge or jury on that. It, it varies jurisdiction to jurisdiction of how they use technology. But, you know, at Fusis, we've drawn a really clear line, which is let's figure out how to make things more efficient. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in doing so, help communities not only address uh, crime and and resolve crime more quickly, but also heal, right? Because part of the healing process from especially tragic incidents like like homicides or active shooters is is how quickly you can resolve them, right? And we we feel like we can be a tool for resolution, especially expeditious mm-hmm. resolution. Well, I appreciate that. So I, I I like this next section of how we do this because we really get into storytelling. And yeah. when I think of what you guys just did today. Um, what I'd love to hear is just an example of maybe one of the first obstacles that you and your partners encountered when you were starting this dream just under five years ago, a little over four, and how you guys overcame it. We know with any small company, you got to have funding. Uh-huh. Um, and so when myself and my co-founder, a gentleman named Anthony Baldoni, when we started the company, we had a concept, right? And you know, it's you kind of envision Shark Tank, right? Like you're pitching an idea to people who may or may not be interested, but mm-hmm. you know, in the back of your head, not only is your business at stake, but basically your your financial well being, your ability to put food on your table. So there's a lot at stake. It's a it's a high risk gambit, um, and it's not for the faint at heart. But I can tell you, having gone through it now, um, there are some sound principles that you know I'm really excited to help future entrepreneurs. You know learn from, um, and, and, and build upon. Um, and that's always the first challenges, right? It's like, you can't make money without having money. You got to have a solid financial foundation to actually do anything. Mm-hmm. And then the second thing obviously is you've got to have clients, you got to have adoption. Um, you know, I spent a fair amount of time in the beginning of the company, just spending time with clients and listening. And that's a key because, you know, the old adage, you know, Companies oftentimes engineer solutions for problems that don't exist. Yes. That's the hazard of once you have money, you know, the natural inclination is build, 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 build. Like we got to get something out. We got to start selling something it. Something to I, sell. Yeah. And, and, you know, and I was very, I think, very open and di- direct and honest with our investors. I said, you know, I, I need, I need at least six months to build a viable solution. You, you need to give me some latitude to really go out and listen to customers and build something. Um, that was my first, you know, misforecast. Actually, took us eleven months to, to build. <laughs> so I didn't always get it right. Yeah, but, but but you knew you needed time, and it sounds like the obstacle that you're talking about is patience. It is, and I also know that you only have one chance to make a first impression. So I'd rather take the extra five months and get it done right, and actually have something that works, than rush something to market and then hear a resounding, "Yeah, it's not going to work." Um, and then there's a little bit of. I don't know. Luck. I mean, the reality is timing matters, right? I mean, there's an element of like, fortunately it does. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta lean in, you gotta, you gotta take chances. And you know, one of the, um, one of the, uh, cities that we started, uh, really exploring, you know, our earliest developments with was the city of Minneapolis. We launched version one of our real time crime center solution a month before the George Floyd incident in the city of Minneapolis. Oh, wow. Um, and as tragic as that circumstance was, um, it was also transformative for law enforcement, not just the city of Minneapolis, but as a whole. It brought to bear a whole new perspective on 
public-private partnerships and the importance thereof. And at the the crux of this was this this little-known software company in the city of Minneapolis that could bridge community-owned assets with law enforcement assets to do a light-touch, intelligence-informed style policing as opposed to just, you know, putting cops out on corners, right? Um, which carried with it a whole host of other concerns, right? You know, the optics of officers standing around on, on the street during protests and that sort of thing, which candidly neither the community nor nor Minneapolis Police Department wanted, right? That wasn't right. really where they wanted to be. It was just standing, you know, they wanted to actually respond to incidents. But in order to do that, you kind of had to know where those incidents were. And so as we built these bridges within the community, we saw, wow, there's an appetite for this across the country, um, especially in the face of, you know, budget shortfalls and hiring issues, retention issues. It just was really this solution that could just ameliorate so many different things that were popping up all at once. Um, and so, you know, as I say, you know, some of this was just opportunistic. It was timing. Um, you know, it was a lot of dedicated people. And, and I think the market was, was timed right for what we were building. What was that interaction like with the city of Minneapolis, like right before that happened? And then while it was happening, like what was memorable about that for you? Well, I can tell you that um, they wanted as much as anybody in the community to keep the community safe and to keep uh, businesses open and to keep people feeling like they were at one with the community. I mean, they wanted that spirit of uh, cohesiveness, and it, it obviously it dissipated very quickly when that incident occurred. Um, and so I, you know, I remember, um, you know, the prior chief, you know, wanting to go so far as to share, you know, real time dispatch related information so that people in the community would understand what the response times were like, you know, within the community. I mean, there were a lot of initiatives to like extend an olive branch and Mm -hmm. want to let the community know, Hey, first off, we get it. We understand your frustration. Second, we're not foregoing our responsibility to keep you safe. And third, we want to do everything we can to quell the dissension that that's obviously, you know, kind of, you know, kind of uh, growing throughout the community. Um, and, and so I would say that, you know, Fuses played a part in, in, in being a resource for them to, to quell those concerns. Um, but as much think- as we know about Minneapolis, I mean, they're not alone in that. There are a lot right. of other cities around the country that are dealing with, challenges they, they may not be as uh you know global in terms of um you know media awareness but you know if i'm a local citizen and i'm seeing the, the homicide rate go up and i'm seeing you know smash and grabs at local you know retailers and 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 businesses shuttering as a result of that and as a result of that tax revenue and then very much needed social services having to you know take budget cuts right like people are feeling that right they understand the downstream impact of lack of of security um, and so I look at this across the country and I see there's, there's only an appetite and that appetite is growing to figure out smart ways to work with law enforcement to build those bridges. So over your professional career, taking into account Fuses and, and your time in the Navy and everything in between, what milestone stands out that you're particularly proud of? Um, that, you know, how did you work towards that and what impact did it have on you personally and also? the organization you were working for at the time? You know, the military is not perfect. Um, But one thing that it does for a young man or young lady is it teaches them that they're part of something bigger, Um, that you are more effective 
together than you are as a individual, um, that you can achieve more, you can go faster, you can go further. And, um, that's probably the lesson that I have carried closest and dearest to myself throughout my professional career. Um, and candidly, that's what keeps employees at the company. Mm-hmm. We, we lost zero engineers last year, zero in like a, a in like a super competitive market where, you know, technology companies are trying their best to pull the top players from other technology companies so that they have that competitive edge. We lost zero of our developers and we can growing good size organization. That says something about the culture of teamwork at our company that I think yields people's desire to stay. I mean, compensation matters, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we try to do, you know, things like unlimited PTO and we try to, you know, make sure that employees have, you know, snacks in the kitchen. But I mean, at the end of the day, it's like, do you feel like you're a part of something? Do you believe in the mission? Do you believe in your, your teammates? That's a universal, you know, theory that I think applies across the military to private sector spectrum. And, um, and it's part of our secret sauce. I mean, I'll be honest with you. And we're not just hiring veterans and former law enforcement. We're, we're hiring a lot of people that are fresh out of engineering schools. We hired somebody who worked at a local uh, restaurant who had aspirations to get into software development. And uh, he just was a hard worker and we could see it all over his resume. He was doing a software boot camp at night. We offered him a paid internship, matched his salary on on at the restaurant, and he's now one of our top engineers. Um, you know, doing great things for for our company, doing great things for our customers, and that's I think that's a maturation in about two years of somebody who just a couple of years ago was not even in the technology space, and that's because we saw work ethic. Uh, he demonstrated a, a, an ability to be a member of the team and to be a, a valued member of the team, a trusted member. And we have, you know, taken folks like that, and I'm really proud of this. Is we've elevated them, and um, yeah, those sound like people that want to be there. That's 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 hugely important. That's so much more important than your tech or you know your your business model. The people, if you have hardworking, brilliant people, you can move mountains. And um, and and the Fusus folks have demonstrated that. That sounds like you know that milestone being a lot of the virtues you learned during your time in the U S Navy really proving themselves to be valuable in your fast growing company right now. Um, so the next part of this is really going to Chris and a lot more about Chris and going a little bit, even beyond storytelling, you know, for you in your role and in, in your day now as a, as a dad and as a CEO and a leader, what makes a great day, a great day and what makes a bad day, a bad day. Well, I, I will tell you this, you know, nobody does what I do without having like an awesome teammate. My wife, she makes things possible. Shout out to um, her. Yeah. Ra- to her. Rachel. I mean, it, you know, if you, if you get a chance to listen to this, I know you're, you're busy with so many other things these days, but you know, I couldn't do it without you. And, um, that's, that's the, you know, that's the truth is, is you really, you got to feel like things at home are in good shape if you're going to focus while you're in the office. And so she's made that possible for me. Um, you know, folks like, like Anthony, who I started this company with, or, 
uh, Scott Halland, who, you know, uh, left California Highway Patrol after many years of dedicated service um, as their CIO and uh, retired as a deputy chief, who, you know, I reached out to and said, hey, we just take a leap of faith. We're a new company. Um, we could use your, you know, support. He's now our chief product officer and he's he's built, you know, the most innovative, fastest growing product in this space. Um, you know, uh, you know, Tony uh, Robinson, who is our CTO, who leads that brilliant team of engineers who are so dedicated uh, to the company and, and, you know, are, are doing new releases like just about every week. Um, You know, you look at our, our, uh, you know, our VPs, our directors, our employees, you know, folks that are, um, you know, in some cases fresh out of college, this is their first gig and they're just, they're doing amazing things. And, um, you know, they're self-directed in so many cases. I mean, if you look at those things, those are the things that make my job so exciting and make what I do such a source of joy and inspiration. I get up every morning and I'm like ready to tackle the day. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's those people that make that possible. Um, my children, you know, they're also a source of inspiration. Um, you know, they, they keep us they busy. They make us Five, think differently. They, they make us think differently and they up that ante, uh, certainly yeah. in terms they're of our uh, toughest negotiators. They are. And, and, you know, it, it kind of makes, you know, when, when you, um, when you make money and it, and it, you know, kind of goes to the next generation and you see what, what they're able to do with it. And you, you <laughs> kind of feel good looking at them saying, all right, this makes the bottom line makes sense. Cause prior to that, it's, you know, you accumulate wealth. What do you do with it? He just sits in an account like, a, yeah. but when you, when you can help your, your offspring do some amazing things, education and sports that, that feels great. So those are the things that inspire me. Um, but I got to tell you, you know, as I see cities around now the globe pop up with what we're doing and, and actually not only just adopt it, but actually be, the ardent supporters of it. You see now mayors standing up and saying, you know, you, you should look at the Fusis Connect program and this matters to us as a community and this is why. When I see chiefs saying, we're going to do this because it matters. When I see sheriffs campaigning, you know, I, I I think we've kind of crossed the chasm a little bit. It's no longer just, this is cool tech. Like, mm-hmm. This is a straight up movement. Um, and that's what it, that is what I find so fulfilling. Because we, we kind of had the inclination a couple of years ago that we could do this, but now to actually see it come to fruition, it's a totally different, you know, and now I'm part of this as much as, you know, our employees is it, this thing's taking a life of its own. It's, it ain't stopping because of Chris Linden now, you know, this thing is going to continue to grow and, and, and that's a huge source of pride. Yeah. And so it sounds like what, what makes a great day, just all encompassing everything you said is really seeing the talent in your team shine and your, and your clients and customers, not just appreciating what you do, but advocating for you Yeah, because there's, there's a sense of validation there. What, what makes the bad day, the bad day? What's the, what's the challenge? What's the struggle? What rips at your heart? What does that look like? Well, you know, you you develop partnerships with these agencies. So when you hear that they've lost one of their officers, Mm -hmm. um, that always hits home. Yeah. And, um, you know, as a solution minded person, I'm always looking at ways to like prevent that. Right. So I, you know, you start to look at things a little different from almost the perspective of like ownership of the problem. Like it can be solved 
and the solution's there. You just got to figure it out, Chris Leonard. Now you got to you got to get your team together. You got to figure it out. So I take a level of ownership now on these tragic circumstances that happen, mm-hmm. um, especially with you know lost officers uh, in the line of duty um, at a level that obviously prior to to being a solution provider in this public safety world um, that I had the sensitivity towards, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, you kind of hear about it on the media. It's different than when it's like you're part of the team that's supposed to prevent these things from happening. That, that ups the ante a little bit in terms of, all right, like let, let, let's, let's circle the wagons. Let's figure this thing out. Yeah. I would say that challenge would definitely be unique to your industry. And I could see how that would be in a lot of ways tough to deal with, but in, in some ways as best as you can use it to motivate you to continue to do great things. Well, and I also think the other side of that coin applies too, right? I mean, you know, if we can prevent, you know, citizens from losing their life, um, you know, that's a huge part too. And it can be not just in, um, you know, response to committing a crime, but it can be, you know, in, in vehicular uh, incidents or, mm-hmm. um, you know, abductions. I mean, these are all circumstances we think about, you know, why can't we have such a vast awareness in real time that when a child gets abducted, they don't make it out of their jurisdiction, right? Yeah. We can solve that. That's a solvable challenge. Mm-hmm. I would submit to you at some point without Chris or with Chris and Fusis, it'll get solved. Some innovator out there is is going to solve it. Just so happens that we're going to lean in on that. We're going to try to solve it, right? Those are circumstances that I think we can help communities with today. Um, and it's really about taking the data that's already out there and making it available in real time in an actionable way. Mm-hmm. Um, we've already demonstrated efficiency again, right? Yeah. I mean, you, you know, look at there was the um, you know the Midtown shooter incident a few months back in Atlanta, right? That was a prime example of you know Fusis being used to allow agencies, multiple agencies, the Atlanta Police Department and Cobb County to respond in real time. And they were able to apprehend the suspect within hours of the incident. Um, and, and the chief from Cobb actually went out, you know, on a press conference and said, you know, prior to having this technology available, we, we might still be looking for this individual. You know, obviously shout out to the brave officers and, and their hard work. They did tremendous work um, and they deserve a lot of credit for that, but you know, they, they leaned on tech. So why can't we leverage that same concept to deal with things like, as I mentioned, you know, the missing child, the Amber Alert. Um, and I think we can. Yeah. So what industry or, or what role besides law enforcement technology um, would you like to attempt? Well, I, I find myself, I don't know if it's the entrepreneurial flair, but I, you know, I find myself looking at problems and saying, w- w- how, how would I solve that? Like yeah. very, <laughs> maybe too much. So it, it's kind of, um, you know, it's, 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 you know, a little bit kind of on my mind more than it probably should be. But I look at, at everyday challenges and I say, wow, that would be a cool one to solve. Um, so there's no limit yeah. to, to the number of opportunities. I mean, right. if you think about the things that are uncomfortable or the things that you wish you didn't have to do, or there's low return on investment and you just kind of have to go, those are prime opportunities for creating a solution. And yeah. if the solution is you sound something like that, a solution finder, yeah, that's right. So if yeah. you, if you have a solution and you think other people need that solution, well now you just created a business. Yeah. Um, and so I spent a lot of time doing that, um, yeah. with 
folks it like yourself. It sounds like a fun who, hobby. It, yeah. yeah, I mean, what's look, a it's... What's problem? What's, what's, what's something that doesn't exist yet? What, what's a different way of doing something? What's, what's the simplest way that you can solve the most complex problems, right? Mm-hmm. Like, those are going to be the most impactful yeah. businesses, right? Well said, well said. Mm-hmm. So this last question comes from a TV show you may or may not have seen before. It's called Inside the Actors Guild. And, and he ends the show. And, and I, when we started doing this podcast as an office, I always thought this would be a great way to end a show. The question is, is if heaven exists, what do you hope God says when you arrive at the pearly gates? You left an impact. You made an impact on society that will extend well beyond your mortal time on on this planet that would be a great thing to hear mm-hmm. um chris again thank you so much for coming today i appreciate it it's been a lot of fun hearing about your exciting company and just the crazy fast industry that you're in and and, and how it's grown in different ways to solve things and congrats again on on on, on making george's george's fastest growing company just today that's incredible well thanks for having me um, on, Danny. if if somebody listening to this wanted to get in touch with you what would be the best way for them to try yeah, it's really simple. Um, Fusus, F-U-S-U-S dot com. Our contact information is on the website. Everything you need to get, you know, connected. Um, and my name's Chris. And so, uh, you know, let the team know when you reach out, you want to chat with me. I'm a, a pretty easy guy to get in touch with. So we'd love to contact you or speak with you if you want to speak. Great. Well, thank you for that. And everybody listening, thank you for your time. We will see you again next time on Executive Perspective. Thank you for joining us on Executive Perspective. This show is brought to you by Cressa, the world's largest occupier-centric commercial real estate firm offering unbiased, conflict-free advice. For more information, go to Cressa.com.